two sermons preached on occasion of the death of a friend by Thomas Halliburton. 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18 For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. He is born to it as the sparks fly upwards. The world is nothing else but a scene of vanity, a stage whereon a continued tragedy is acted, in which, however, some for a while may seem to act a very pleasing part, yet the conclusion of the play is ever sad and melancholy, while death shuts up the scene and the shadows of the everlasting evening as a curtain are drawn over all the actors. And if we seriously observe the whole race of fallen Adam, plunged headlong into this bottomless deep of trouble, three things, amongst others, worthy of our most serious thoughts, will offer themselves to our view. First, the exceeding sinfulness of sin, the source of all this trouble, may be easily discerned by any considerate observer of those streams which issue from it. The bitter fruit speaks the bitterness of the root. Who or what has poisoned the streams of all earthly comforts? Who has made the world an hospital? Who has turned so many living men into dust and dry bones? Surely sin has done this. For the wages of sin is death, and its entry into the world has turned a delightsome palace into a melancholy prison, a garden of pleasure into a waste and howling wilderness. And in one word the world into a house of mourning, sorrow, and lamentation, wherein few laugh but fools. For the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, saith the wise man. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 4. Second, the serious observation of the children of men lying thus under trouble, and the far greater part of them utterly destitute of any solid relief against those calamities under which they groan, will at once affect our hearts with a piercing and heart-melting sorrow for the misery of so many who partake with us in flesh and blood and overawe our minds with deep impressions of the holy and just severity of the sovereign God who has mercy on whom he will and hardens whom he will. This, in the third place, will serve greatly to heighten our admiration of and wonder at the sovereignly free mercy and kindness of the glorious God in providing a solid relief against all those miseries for some of the race of apostate Adam. Though every one of those things now mentioned were worthy to be insisted upon, Yet because to discourse of the two former would but increase sorrow, which suits not our present design, we shall fix our thoughts upon the third, the goodness of God in relieving a remnant of sinful mankind from those troubles which sin has brought upon them. Now the goodness of God in this cannot be better known than by a serious consideration of that relief which is the effect of it. And of this, the verse now read gives us a fair occasion to discourse. While we look not at the things that are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. These words express the means of a Christian's relief and tell us what it is that supports the believer under all his troubles in this world. And in them we may notice these five things, which require some explication. First, we have the persons who are relieved. We, that is, believers, into whose minds God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We, who travel heavenward through manifold afflictions, of these, it is our Apostle speaks, 
whom he includes with himself in the particle we, while we, etc. Second, we have the means of their support, that which relieves them, which keeps them from fainting, and makes them exceeding joyful in all their tribulations, and that is a look at things not seen and eternal, while we look not at things, etc. By which we are to understand the exercise of faith upon things not seen. For the scripture commonly expresses faith thus, so Isaiah 65.22, Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. Thus also doth the apostle to the Hebrews express it, Hebrews 12.1 and 2, Let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Third, we have the object of this look expressed negatively, not the things that are seen, that is, it is not any present enjoyment nor sensible objects that can relieve us against our troubles, but positively the things that are not seen, that is, things future, things spiritual, and things no way discernible save by the eye of faith, which is the evidence of things not seen. Hebrews 11 verse 1. Fourth, we have the influence or power of this look insinuated in the word while, which leads us back to the two foregoing verses, from which we may learn what the efficacy and force of this faith is for the end mentioned. And this we conceive cannot be done with more clearness than by a simple proposal of those effects as they stand connected with their cause, by this word while in the context, which will give us a discovery of a threefold notable influence of this faith. 1. It keeps from fainting under trouble. We faint not, saith the apostle, verse 16. We look not at, etc. 2. It makes outward disadvantages turn to inward advantages. Decays of the body turn profitable to the spirit. And in one word, it makes the inward man to grow by the perishing of the outward. Though our outward man perish, verse 16, yet the inward man is renewed day by day, while we look not at the, etc. 3. It makes momentary afflictions work for believers a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. For our light afflictions, which are but for a moment, work for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not, etc. The only thing that can with any show of reason be alleged against this interpretation is taken from the first clause of the sixteenth verse, that is, for which cause we faint not, which some may think a sufficient insinuation that the cordial whereby believers are kept from fainting is rather to be looked for in the preceding verses than in those which follow. But to this it is easily answered that the apostle in the preceding verses doth indeed lay down some relieving considerations, which are of no small use to believers under their troubles, and which do preserve against fainting. And to these it is that the clause mentioned has respect. But as true as it is that believers have this advantage from those encouragements then, and then only, when they exercise faith upon things not seen, so that the whole efficacy and power of these encouragements is owing to faith, and this is all we plead. Fifth, we have an account of the nature both of these things to which faith looks and to which it looks not. The things that are seen are temporal, that is, they are only of a short continuance and serve time, but the things that are not seen are eternal, that is, they are so either in their nature or use or both. Now, though we might from the words thus shortly explained take notice of many very considerable observations, yet we shall at present waive them and only lay before you this one doctrine. Doctrine. That the exercise of faith upon things that are not seen, or faiths looking to things not seen, gives believers a blessed relief under all their troubles, 
The rise of this doctrine from the words as they have been explained is evident. And if any desire to see this truth confirmed by Scripture, they may at their leisure read the eleventh chapter of the Epistle to the Hebrews, where they will see this truth abundantly confirmed. Now, that we may prepare the way for application in the further prosecution of this truth, we shall, number one, name some of those things that are not seen to which faith looks. Number two, we shall inquire what it is that faith, seeking to relieve the believer under his troubles, principally notices in those things. Number three, we shall inquire in what glass faith sees those things that are not seen or are in their own nature invisible. Number four, we shall a little open the nature of this look to things not seen. And number five, we shall inquire how it relieves the people of God under their troubles. Now, each of these we shall discourse in order. And, number one, we shall name a few of these things that are not seen to which faith looks, and whereby it relieves the people of God under their troubles. First, then, faith looks to the invisible God, and by looking at him brings to the believer solid relief under the greatest pressures. The invisible God, as discovered in the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose face his glory is seen, as being the image of this King, eternal, immortal, and invisible, is a never-failing spring of sweet and soul-satisfying consolation. The riches of his love, his unalterable faithfulness, his omnipotent arm, his unsearchable wisdom, his glorious grace and mercy— with all the other glorious properties of his nature, when seen by the eye of faith, are able to give the beholder strong consolation under the greatest pressures. Moses found it so, as we are told by the Apostle, Hebrews 11.27. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. The sight of him who is invisible bore upon him and made him endure, or rather undergo, dangers with courage and resolution. And the like sight is able still to make the people of God endure the worst that can befall them. Second, the believer by faith looks at the Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious captain of salvation and compassionate high priest of our profession whom, though once his people saw on earth by the eye of sense, yet now they see him no more that way, whom, though they now see him not, yet believing in him, they rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, and that, even when for a season, they are in heaviness through manifold temptations, First Peter 1 Peter 1.8 and 6 verses compared. The Christian should run his whole race looking unto Jesus, who is proposed for this very end. I mean the relieving of his people under sufferings, Hebrews 12, 1-3, where we are called to view him in his sufferings and in the issue of them, and that, lest we faint in our minds, sweeter the apostle's own words, wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Dying Stephen, Acts 7.55, when he looked up steadfastly unto heaven, and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing on the right hand of God, and his principal relief from faith's sight of the merciful and compassionate Jesus in his state of exaltation. And indeed, faith's discovery of the compassion, mercy, kindness, faithfulness, glory, and power of an unseen Christ is a spring of inconceivably powerful relief. Third, 
The believer, under trouble for his own relief, looks at the resurrection of the body, with its blessed concomitants, which at present can be no otherwise seen than by faith, which is the evidence of things not seen and the substance of things hoped for. Sense looks at those clay tabernacles wherein we dwell and sees them under a daily decay, which occasions fainting. But noble faith looks to the period of time and sees the dry bones moving one toward another, and every part of the dissolved body taking again its own place, and sees all the ruins of death repaired by a resurrection. It sees that which was sown in corruption raised in incorruption, that which was sown in dishonor raised in glory, that which was sown in weakness raised in power, that which was sown a natural body raised a spiritual. 1 Corinthians fifteen forty-two to 44 This was Job's relief. He got a joint view of his Redeemer and of his own resurrection, and this, when he was at a very low pass, was very relieving to him. Job nineteen twenty-five to 27 Fourth, tossed believers for their own relief under their present troubles do by faith look unto that unseen rest that remains for the people of God, after death has closed their eyes, of which the voice from heaven, Revelation 14.13, informed John, the beloved disciple, I heard, says he, a voice from heaven saying to me, Write, Blessed are the dead that die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. A threefold blessed rest faith looks at beyond death. 1. There is a sweet, everlasting, and fully satisfactory rest from sin provided for the people of God in Emmanuel's land, where glory dwells. For there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie. Revelation twenty one twenty seven. 2. There is in reserve for the people of God a blessed and entire rest from all their toils. Duty is no more their toil, but their happiness. Though they cease not day nor night, but are continually praising God, yet they rest from their labors, saith the Spirit. That is, their work is no more laborious, toilsome, or troublesome to them. But on the contrary, they have in it a sweet and blessed rest, for there shall be there no more pain, Revelation 21.4. 3. There is, as the consequence of the two former, a blessed and eternal rest from sorrow, Revelation 21.4. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Such is the blessed rest which faith looks unto and sometimes anticipates the possession of, while it gives the believer sweet foretastes of it in the beginnings of sanctification. And in some sweet, heaven-resembling enjoyment of God manifested in Christ Jesus, in the ordinances appointed of God for that end. And, in a word, faith assures the believer that it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to all who trouble his people, but to them that are troubled, rest with himself. 2 Thessalonians 1.6 Fifth, faith is to the believer the evidence of unseen mansions of glory which Christ has gone to prepare for them in his Father's house. This our apostle in the first verse of the ensuing chapter points out as a blessed relief, not only with respect to presently incumbent troubles, but also with respect to the formidable issue of them, death. For we know, says he, that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, an house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. What was it that made Abraham undergo cheerfully so many inconveniences, wandering up and down? The apostle answers, Hebrews eleven nine and 10, By faith he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in the tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs of the same promise. 
For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Sixth, to add no more, faith is the evidence to the believer of these unseen rivers of pleasures which are to be enjoyed at God's right hand. Faith satisfies the believer upon the testimony of that God who is eternal truth that really there are such rivers of pleasures. Psalm 16:11. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. And furthermore, it gives him a full and blessed assurance, leaning upon the faithful promise of God, that such of the children of men as do put their trust under the shadow of the wings of the Almighty shall be abundantly satisfied, or, as the first language has it, watered with the fatness of his house, and he will make them drink of the river of his pleasures. Pleasures which issue in great abundance. 1. From the soul-upmaking vision of God, when we shall see him no more darkly as through a glass, but face to face. Beloved, says the Apostle John, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. 1 John 3, 2. Now, if these dark glimpses of God which believers do sometimes enjoy be capable to fill them with joy and pleasure that is unspeakable and full of glory, what heart can conceive, what tongue can express the joy and satisfaction resulting from this immediate view of God as he is in the light of glory? 2. Unspeakable pleasures issue from a full and satisfying discovery of the Lord Jesus Christ— with whom believers shall forever be, as also a full discovery of the glorious work of redemption, with the whole concernment of the glorious trinity and the contrivance, progress, and consummation of that glorious masterpiece of divine wisdom, with all the advantageous consequences of it towards themselves. At that day, how will they be ravished to find our Lord's punctual accomplishment of that sweet promise which he makes? John fourteen twenty. That day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Now we know but in part, but then shall we even know, even also as we are known. For when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. 3. A sweet river of pleasure issues from the full conformity of our natures unto God. Most part of our sorrows are the result of the unhappy contrariety of our natures unto God. For the hearts of believers whose eyes God has enlightened will be ready to break through the longing they have to God's commands at all times, and the ardent desire which they have of a conformity to Him as manifesting his holiness and his spotless pure law that's written in the word and made visible to the eye of faith and the life of Christ. How sweet was the expectation of this to the psalmist in that 17th Psalm, 15th verse, But as for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness, and when I awake, I shall be satisfied with thy likeness. 4. Abundant pleasures do sweetly flow from the pleasant society of all the nations of them that are saved. In heaven it is that believers who do here come by faith are brought in a more noble and excellent way unto Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, and to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. These and the like are the unseen things whereat faith looks, and by the look relieves and refreshes believers under all their troubles. We are now, number two, to inquire what it is in those unseen things which faith fixes principally upon, and from which it draws relief and refreshment unto believers. In answer, faith mainly looks at and observes, 
First, the reality. Second, the excellency. Third, the unchangeableness. Fourth, the eternity of these things which are not seen. First, faith observes in them a great reality. It is the evidence of things not seen. It brings in assurance that there are such things, and that they only may justly be said to be. Other things have an imaginary sort of being, or if any will not allow us to call all the enjoyments of time merely imaginary, yet sure I am they do, insofar resemble those things which have only a being in the imagination, that to us they are of no other use than that which imaginary things do serve. Imaginations give some sort of pleasing satisfaction, and then evanish, leaving us no more but the melancholy remembrance of an unaccountable sort of pleasure, now lost and gone, and of our own folly, first in looking upon that which really was not as if it had been, and then in flattering ourselves with expectations of the continuance of those things which are not. Now, fain would I know what there is more to be had by those temporal enjoyments, which are thought to be most real and comparatively valuable, than by these imaginations. Doth the one afford some pleasure? So doth the other. Doth the pleasure of the one quickly evanish? So doth that of the other. And when enjoyments are gone, what in the one case or the other is left us more than melancholy thoughts and reflections, partly for our loss and partly for our folly, in expecting more than the thing was capable to afford? And may not both the one and the other upon this account justly deserve that epithet given by the Spirit of God to things of a low account in the world's esteem, 1 Corinthians one twenty-eight? even that they are things which are not seen, while really to be, remains, and that most justly, as the peculiar property of these things, and of these only, which are not seen. Thus, faith makes the believer to inherit substance, and to look to things that are real, while the rest of the unbelieving world weary themselves in chasing shadows, and feed their deluded eyes with the sight of vain imaginations. Second, faith observes in those things that are not seen not only a reality, but an excellency. Things that are seen have their use and deserve their own commendation, but things that are not seen excel, and that, firstly, in their nature. Things seen are corruptible, things unseen incorruptible. Things seen are subjected to vanity by reason of sin, not so the things that are not seen. Things seen are earthly or corporeal, that is, they have a particular relation to our estate in this world, where the body and its concerns have the principal sway, but the things that are not seen are spiritual. Secondly, things that are not seen excel in their use as well as nature. The things that are seen are but of use to man in some particular circumstances. Nay, man sometimes may be so circumstantiate that all the things that are seen can signify but very little to him. Of what use, I pray, are all things in the world to a man stepping into eternity or in the hourly expectation of his dissolution? He can carry nothing hence, for... Naked came we to the world, and naked we must go from it. They cannot, all taken together, preserve from death, for the soul's redemption is precious and ceaseth for ever, nor can any man by any means redeem his brother or himself, nor give to God a ransom that by any means redeem his brother or himself, nor give to God a ransom that he should still live for ever and not see corruption. Psalm 49, 7-9 Finally, things that are seen are not capable to support or give any sensible relief as to the present pressure of one in the agonies of death who is grappling with that great and formidable enemy, the king of terrors. Future expectations from them he has none, for now he is to leave them. 
What he has formerly had from them is now gone, and has left nothing but a melancholy remembrance that once he had treasure, which he now wants, and that consequently he is not only at present in trouble, but this trouble is a fall to him, a change from a better to a worse, and this aggravates his misery. And now, being thus destitute of any advantage from what is past or prospect of what is to come, he has nothing at all, unless he relish some sweetness at present. But this he can by no means do, for now the evil day is come, and the years wherein men are brought to say, We have no pleasure in them. For now desire fails, because man goes to his long home. There is no more taste in all these things than in the white of an egg. But it is quite otherwise with things that are not seen. Godliness is indeed profitable for all things, having the promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. 2 Timothy 4.8 That is to say, a man exercised to godliness, one who lives by faith, which looks to things that are not seen, finds supplies suited to all his needs in those promises that are fraught with all things needful for life and godliness. Whatever he needs with respect to time or eternity, he finds it there, though others cannot see it, because it is not to be discerned but by the eye of faith. Thirdly, faith observes an excellency of power in things not seen. The things that are seen, in some cases, are nowise useful, and even in those cases wherein they may be of some use, their efficacy and power is but small in respect of that which things which are not seen have. The abundance of things which a man possesses may alleviate his troubles, but they cannot make him to rejoice in tribulation. This only can be done by faith, which not only kept our apostle from fainting, but filled him with comfort and made him exceeding joyful in all his tribulations. Nay, we may venture to say that the efficacy or power of faith upon things that are not seen is such that it can fill the heart with joy under a concurrence of the greatest outward afflictions, while all the things that are seen are scarce able to alleviate the trouble arising from one, and that a very small outward trouble, the aching of a tooth or a toe. The saint has been seen and heard singing in the midst of the flames by the power of faith, while a king in the midst of a palace surrounded with all the delights of the sons of men has been disconsolate, desperate, and capable of no alleviation, far less comfort, and all by the pain of a tooth or a toe. Fourthly, faith discovers an excellency of glory and of beauty in things that are not seen, insomuch that even those things which a carnal mind would think to be ugly and deformed, yet when looked upon by the eye of faith, are seen to outshine the most glorious sparkling and dazzling of those things which are seen by the eye of sense. Faith sees a glory in the cross of Christ that outshines the glory of an earthly crown, scepter, and kingdom. And if so, how far may we suppose the highest glory of created things to be outshone by that glory which faith will discern in the glorious reward of the cross? Third, faith looks at the unchangeableness of things that are not seen. Things that are seen run in a perpetual round, and therefore if a man be happy by their present posture, he must presently be miserable by the change of that. Few hours, far less days, weeks, months, or years pass without some remarkable change. And so are they linked together, if not in themselves, yet with respect to us or our comfort in the use of them, that a turn in one makes a heavy change in all, and so sets these things which before seemed to combine for our happiness, as it were in battle array against us on every hand, leaving us with Job to complain that changes that changes and war are against us. A man surrounded with pleasures, if but teased with a very ordinary disease of body, a fever, a gout, or gravel, etc., which many times comes surprisingly in a moment, has not only all his comforts embittered by this, 
but they are now become, as it were, so many torments to him, inasmuch as every one of them becomes an aggravation of his misery. And the more pleasures we are deprived of, by that the greater still is the trouble. In a word, things that are seen are constant in nothing, save in their inconstancy, and therefore surely all comfort, pleasure, satisfaction, or happiness that depends upon things perpetually changing is itself not solid, but a very vanity that deserves not the name of pleasure, far less of happiness. But now things are quite otherwise, on the other hand, things that are not seen are unchangeable. God changeth not. Christ Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Heaven, and in a word the promises in which all things are wrapped up, continue ever the same. They are not yea and nay, but in Christ Jesus they are all yea, and in him amen. 2 Corinthians 1, 18 and 20. Fourth. Faith observes with delight the eternity of things that are not seen. The things that are seen, says our text, are temporal, but the things that are not seen are eternal. And indeed, this one may very justly be put in the room of all, as it is in our text. For to be temporal is to be, I had almost said, not to be, I say, it is to be imaginary or vanishing, useless, or at most of little use, and to be changeable. Whereas on the other hand, to be eternal is indeed to be, that is to be solid, real, useful, excellent, and unchangeable. Oh, but here is a noble prospect for faith to look at. Here all things are real, all glorious, all useful, and liable to no alteration forever. The more he looks at things that are not seen, the more reality doth he observe and find in them. Whereas the more he looks at things that are seen, the more vanity and emptiness finds he in them. He looks to things seen, and they mock him. He looks upon them, and they are not. A serious look of them looks them into nothing. But things not seen have in them substance, reality, and solidity, which he with delight beholds. He looks upon things seen and sees them as refuse, loss, and dung. But he sees the things that are not seen to be so excellent that even these things which seem to have some glory have yet no glory by reason of this glory which doth excel. And to conclude, he looks at the things that are seen and sees them like a meteor or airy vapor in a continual motion while they are, and in a little they quite vanish. But things not seen he perceives fixed, unchangeable, and that forever. And therefore one thing he desires of the Lord, and that will he seek after to obtain, even that he may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. Psalm 27, verse 4. We have showed in some measure what these unseen things are, and what it is that faith principally notices in them. Our next inquiry is, Number 3. In what glass doth faith look at them, that it may discern their reality, excellency, and permanency? In answer to which we say, First, faith looks at them in their everlasting spring, sovereignly free grace and electing love. It is from this fountain that all believers' expectations, all their mercies, here or hereafter flow. Jeremiah 31.3 the Lord hath appeared to me of old, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love, therefore with loving kindness have I drawn thee. Faith has a back look as well as a forelook. It not only sees those things that are to come in God's revelation of them, but it also in like manner sees those things which have been of old, even from everlasting. And indeed, a humble believer could not believe the reality of any favor tendered unto a vile sinner, such as he knows himself to be, by the holy God, unless he saw it flowing from sovereign grace as the fountain. 
He could not believe anything useful unto himself in his present condition if it were not the product of wonderfully free love that observes not the desert, but the need of those upon whom it bestows its favors. Again, he could not be persuaded to believe that he shall have any unchangeable mercies while he himself changes so often, and very oft to the worst, unless he saw them the product of free, sovereign, and eternal love of him who is God, and changes not. And this indeed is the true reason why the sons of Jacob are not consumed. Here is one sweet glass, wherein the believer has indeed a satisfying discovery of the solidity, excellency, and eternal unchangeableness of those things that are not seen. Second, faith looks at things unseen in their procuring cause, the death of the eternal Son of God, who, neither by the blood of goats or calves, but by his own blood, entered once into the most holy place, having obtained eternal redemption. Hebrews 9.12 Here the believer sees the reality of the things which has faith's eyes. For sure the blood of God was not shed for nothing. Nay, here it sees their glory and excellency. A wise merchant will not give pearls for trifles, far less the only wise God this precious blood for things of no or small value. Here, if anywhere, the believer may see them beyond all rational contradiction, real, great, durable, and eternal. Third, faith sees and is satisfied about things not seen by the view it gets of them, their reality and their glory, in that well-ordered covenant which is the mean of their conveyance. Isaiah 55 and verse 3, Incline your ear and come unto me, here and your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. Fourth, faith looks at them in the charter, whereby this conveyance is expressed, and security given as to all things the believer can justly desire, I mean the promises of the written word. God in his wonderful condescension, being abundantly willing, that all his people should have strong consolation, has given them full security in the great and precious promises of his word, by which we are made partakers of the divine nature, and escape the pollution that is in the world through lust. Promises they are, which have in them all things requisite for the life that now is, and that which is to come. And indeed, this is the glass, wherein faith not only discerns things invisible, but also sees these other things, the sovereign grace of God, the meritorious death of the Son of God, and the well-ordered covenant, which serve, as we have said, to satisfy the believer as to the reality and glory of the things that are not seen, for none of these things are to be known any other way than by the revelation God has made of them in his word. Fifth, faith discerns the reality and excellency of these things that are not seen, in the foretastes which through grace are obtained here. For faith is the substance, or as others, the subsistence of things that are hoped for. It gives an earnest of eternal glory. Faith fetches a cluster of grapes from the Canaan that is above, and not only so, but it breaks them and squeezes out the juice, sweet and sap, if I may so speak, in the believer's mouth, whereby he is made not only to see, but even to taste, that the Lord is, and that he is the Lord Jehovah, one that has a being and gives a being to his promises, and therefore the soul that trusts in him is blessed. Psalm 34, verse 8. Sixth, faith sees these things that are not seen in the glass of gospel ordinances. Here it is that all we with open face behold as in a glass the glory of the Lord, as well as in what he has promised to and prepared for his people, as in what he is in his own glorious nature, and hereby we are transformed into the same glorious image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. 2 Corinthians 3.18 
In these glasses it is that faith beholds to the unspeakable comfort of believers under all their troubles, the unquestionable reality, the surpassing glory, the unalterable firmness and everlasting continuance of these things that are not seen and are eternal. Unless they be such, they cannot be suitable to the royal bounty of sovereign grace, the vast expense of the blood of God, the solemnity of the everlasting covenant, the firmness of the word and oath of God who cannot lie, the ravishing sweetness of the first fruits of glory, and the alluring beauty of the gospel ordinances. Number four. It now remains that we speak somewhat of the nature of this faith, and in a word, this look is comprehensive of these five things. First, it necessarily implies knowledge. What we see by the eye of sense we in some measure know, so likewise we in some measure know what we see by the eye of faith. And hence it is that in Scripture we frequently find faith called knowledge, Isaiah 53.11, by his knowledge, that is, by faith in him, or the knowledge of him, shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. And of this, no doubt, the apostle also speaks, Philippians 3, verse 8 and onward. Second, this look implies certainty and assurance. When the eye looks upon things, it assures us that they are, and in some measure also, what they are. In like manner also does faith satisfy the believer about things unseen. It shows him their being, and in some measure their nature, for it is evidence or demonstration of things not seen. Hebrews 11.1 Third, this look implies a settling or fixing of the soul upon these things in the steady contemplation of them. For if we consider the text, we may easily discern that by this look we are to understand not so much one particular act as the habitual posture of believers under their sufferings. While we look, that is, while in the whole course of our sufferings we keep our eye fixed upon things that are not seen. Fourth, this look has in it trust, dependence, and expectation. It supposes our acceptance of things unseen for our portion, our trust in them for relief, and our waiting in the expectation of this relief. It is such a look as that of the lame man, Acts 3, 4, and 9, upon whom Peter, fastening his eyes with John, said, Look on us, and he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. It is the answer of his call who bids us look unto him and be saved, Isaiah sixty-five twenty-two, and therefore it necessarily imports dependence and a fiducial expectation of his salvation. Fifth, it implies, as the result of the former, a sweet complacency and delight in things that are not seen. A soul, wearied under the pressure of troubles, by faith comes unto Jesus, and from him it has a blessed rest. Unbelief shuts out of God's rest, but by faith believers enter into rest and enjoy a sweet repose in God under all their troubles. Number five. We are now come, in the last place, to inquire how faith looking to things not seen relieves the people of God under trouble. We told you in the entry that it keeps them from fainting, it furthers sanctification, it increases future glory. We shall now then, in a word, show you three things for answer to the question. First, how faith keeps believers from fainting. Second, how it furthers their sanctification. Third, how it increases their glory. First, faith looking under troubles to things not seen keeps the believer from fainting several ways, of which I shall name a few. 1. It turns away the eye from that which occasions fainting. Some weak people, if they look upon themselves when a surgeon bleeds them, will readily faint, 
But let them turn their eyes elsewhere, and they can easily endure without any inconveniency of that sort. A clear proof that it is rather our own imaginations about the pain than the pain itself that makes us faint. Just so it is with the people of God when they pour upon their troubles, fix their mind upon them, and like the church in the Lamentations, remember, that is, roll over in their thoughts, their affliction and their misery, the wormwood and the gall of their condition. Then, like her, they must faint and draw the melancholy conclusion, My strength and hope is perished from the Lord. Lamentations 3, 19 and 20. The same practice had the same issue. Psalm 77, verse 3. I complained, that is, I poured upon my trouble, and my spirit was overwhelmed. But faith prevents this by turning the eye another way. 2. Faith not only turns the eye away from the trouble, but it fixes the soul on the ravishing glory and beauty of things that are not seen and are eternal. And this is a sweet and ravishing cordial against the trouble that really we feel, as the former was a good preservative against what is merely imaginary, and yet proves many times the heaviest part of the burden. When the church turned her eyes to the mercy of the Lord, she quickly revived from her fainting fit. This I call to mind, therefore have I hoped. David when his men spake of stoning him, was sore distressed. But when he turned his eyes unto the Lord, he presently got encouragement. 3. It discovers to the soul a fountain of strength, whence it may have abundant supplies to enable it to bear the greatest troubles that can befall the believer. And even this, while yet these supplies are not obtained, may keep the soul from fainting. Faith's assurance that in the Lord Jehovah there is everlasting strength, even while we have not the experience of the communications of it, is a cordial against fainting. The psalmist, for an encouragement against present troubles, brings in this, The Lord will hear when I call unto him. Psalm 4, verse 3. 4. Faith not only lets see a fountain of strength, but it furnishes the believer with supplies thence. Faith drawn out into waiting brings an increase of strength. Isaiah 40, verse 31. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not weary, and they shall walk and not faint. This audio recording was read by Michael Ives. I hope you found it enlightening and edifying. Visit westportexperiment.com for more audio resources and where I write about parish missions, the care of souls, and all things reformed.